Small businesses are at the heart of the U.S. economy. Here at Nurture Small Business Podcast, we're dedicated to seeing our small business owners succeed. I am your host, Denise Kagan, president of DCA Virtual Business Support. If you like what you hear on today's podcast, please share it. You have my gratitude for doing so. Having standard operating procedures and systems in place makes your business processes repeatable and predictable. In fact, franchises are successful because of that. And today's guest, Jane Stein, is a certified franchise consultant and founder, as well as the president of Your Franchises Waiting. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thank you, Denise. So, interestingly enough, I have a background in standard operating procedure creation. It came from another career at another time in my life, um, working in beverage manufacturing, actually. So I, I was very aware of the predictability of what those will do for your business. But before we get into all of that, I want to learn a little bit more about you. So tell me about where you came from. What's your background? Cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your show too. Oh, I, um, I was a um, stockbroker, although we don't use that word anymore, for many years, decades with what is now Morgan Stanley. And I retired quite young and wanted to, you know, raise my children, be in the classroom. I had a young son on the spectrum at the time. And so we retired and moved to Colorado and I was in the classroom and all of that was great. And I did, you know, meaningful volunteer work, but cut to about 10 years later and the boys were in high school. The oldest was going off to college and I realized I was bored out of my mind. (laughs) And this is how much I knew about franchises. I thought you bought it and they ran it for you. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is a big disconnect there. Wouldn't that be awesome? We'd all do that if there was such a thing. But anyway, we sure would. (laughs) (laughs) So I start clicking around on the internet. Um, Send me more. Tell me more, you know, about this XYZ franchise. I'm literally Googling best franchises for women, best franchises in Colorado, stupid things. And I am getting inundated by franchise brokers because it turns out all of those clicks are connecting you with a franchise broker, not the actual franchise. And as I went through their process, I some were horrible, of course, uh, but this one guy was really good and he had me take a personality um, assessment and he talked to me about my goals. And, and really, it was just such an engaging conversation that I realized, hey, this is exactly what I want to do. It's all the things I loved about being a stockbroker. It's relationships, it's problem solving for a future goal, it's um, you know, meaningful conversation, helping people. Um, but and I don't have to get dressed and go somewhere every day, and I can do it from anywhere in the world. So that's how I got started. That is an amazing story. I love it. So um, you had that disconnect that you thought that you bought the franchise and (laughs) they would run it. 
So tell me, tell me a little bit more about these processes that you went through and how it compares to your process now. And how do you open people's eyes? Because clearly that's not what happens. Yeah. Well, funny side note, one of the latest innovations in franchising is exactly that model. Um, and they're actually called managed franchises or passive franchises. They're expensive, you know, because you're paying them on top of the <laughs> on top of the franchise fee and on top of the royalty. Now there's another add-on management fee, and some of them are more flexible than others in terms of contract length. But honestly, they're a great solution for somebody who can't afford financially to step away from their work, but in five years or whatever, when the business is ramping, they you know they hope to. But it's very, very unproven. And I haven't, you know, I can't honestly recommend to anybody yet in terms of my client base, because I always tell them, look, these all just launched in the last year. There's literally nobody you can talk to that's making any money yet. So um, mm. there, his process is very much like, like what I do today. Um, uh, you know, I do a psychometric assessment. When somebody first comes into me, Denise, we talk about your goals, you know, your budget. Um, what, what is you, what do you want your business life to look like in terms of hours, types of clientele, demographic profile of your employees, um, number of employees. And it's really a nice, uh, aspirational conversation about what does that perfect business look like for you? Knowing it doesn't exist, but I'm going to do my darndest. So we'd make a list of those business attributes that seem to be the most important for my client. Then I do that psychometric assessment, kind of overlay that with with just the data points that I already know. Then I reach into my database of 800 franchises that uh, work with brokers. We should note not everybody does. The giant brands that have no more territory do not. There's no territory. Why would they pay a referral fee to me? Right. Um, so I reach into the database, I kind of start overlaying budget, uh, you know, and, and what I know, then I do territory checks with like 40 or 50 concepts to see what's available in that person's market. I forgot to tell you, I also do a little market study to see what's there, what's not there, how much, you know, who's there in terms of clients and what would they, you know, customers, what would they be looking for kind of a thing. Anyway, and then I get back to my client after all of that research and I present my top five choices for them or eight or four. If I, you know, if I can't eliminate, I'll show them 10. If I can eliminate easily, I may show them three. Um, and from that point on, it's my client's job to do the hard work, right? I've done all the hard work up front. I've spent my 10, 15 hours up front doing the research. Now it's your job to do the 30 hours or so that it takes per franchise to really do the due diligence properly. And, and I coach them through that whole process and teach them how to do that. But once I've done my upfront, it, the hard work's on them. They're going through the due diligence process. They're in the throes of this you know, sales team, or they call it a development team at the franchise. And I'm just kind of coaching them through and telling them when I hear BS and you know all of that, connecting them with resources, CPAs, accounting, attorneys, uh, funding, all that. So if I heard you correctly, if you present three concepts and they want to look into all three, that's 90 hours-ish of due diligence. 
Yeah. But what happens is after you have, say, so it's, it's the sale of franchises, which is not what I do, right? That's what the franchise does. That that process is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. And as you would expect, because it's franchise, it's also extremely structured in most cases. So most franchises have a incredibly structured sales process Every week, hour-long calls, webinars, revealing different aspects of the business model. Um, by the third, so it's an hour a week per franchise in the beginning. Um, and by that third call with three franchises, you've already eliminated two out of the three and maybe three out of the three. And I go back to the drawing board. Um, the longest and most intense hours is after the franchise has taken you through their process, they've told you everything they're willing to or legally allowed to disclose. They've sent you the disclosure documents. You've sat through um, maybe operational marketing calls, blah, blah, blah. Now you're in the phase that is called validation. That's the most time intensive and that's when you actually speak to other franchise owners in that system. Um, and if you're speaking to 10 of them or 12 of them, each of those calls tends to be long. Um, and that's where the time comes in. It's down the road. So what what kind of mistakes do you see people making when they're selecting a franchise? Um, uh, there are sort of some obvious ones that won't be any surprise to you. Uh, I would say the catastrophic mistake is underestimating your financial runway. (laughs) Right? Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. (laughs) (laughs) It seems so obvious. Um, And um, I guess I see people thinking they want to do this and underestimating the time commitment and overestimating how much the franchise is going to do for them. And really, it's your business. You know, the structure is there. The support is there. But you are in the trenches every day. And let's face it, the first year is hell. And you got to survive. So I think it's underestimating how much time it's going to be. And that's, you know, part of my role is to educate people as they're going through and they say something like, you know, I work with a lot of people that are looking for semi-absentee. Here's a good example. Mm -hmm. And the first question I ask is, great, what does that look like for you in terms of hours per week of your availability? And they say, oh, I could give it five or 10. (laughs) I'm like, well, do you have a brother-in-law who's going to run it for you? Because unless you do, (laughs) that is going to be super challenging. Right. And in which case, then that plays into the financial aspect because you have to hire some type of manager if you aren't going to physically be there. Right. Well, the good news is those guys and gals tend to have the money, right? They're working a big job. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. They're looking for an alternative stream of income. They want to diversify their portfolio. So it's not really money that's the object in their case, but it is the time for sure. Absolutely. The owner-operator, it is the money. They're leaving their job. They're mm-hmm. in their 50s. They have X amount of finite dollars for the rest of their lives. This is a huge risk for them. And, and they will be living on their capital for a year or two 
And that's where validation comes in. You got to build out that pro forma. You got to see what it looks like. You got to make sure, okay, what if it's 18 months before I can draw out a salary? What will I be living on? And that's where my background, um, just to give a little plug for myself, that's where my background helps because I understand financial planning so well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And forecasting, honestly, it's, it's a, it's a, I was going to say a trick. For those of us who don't understand it well, it is a trick. Okay. Yeah. For those of you who do, it's easy peasy. So having someone like you in their corner is definitely, definitely a good thing. So uh, tell me what types of businesses do you represent in your portfolio? Um, You know, I think people are always surprised at the crazy businesses that are franchises. Everybody thinks food. And honestly, in the seven or eight years I've been doing this, I have rarely placed somebody in a food concept because it's so hard and the margins suck. And who wants 40 part-time employees that are high school students, Uh, especially (laughs) now, right? Impossible Mm -hmm. labor model. So at once I've opened people's eyes to margins and service businesses, that tends to be where a lot of people want to go just because it makes more sense. They're highly scalable. You know, you scale by adding more techs and trucks, uh, you know, and as the business comes in, that's when you add the expense of the tech and the truck. But some fun ones are like, I would say that people don't realize wild businesses. So crime cleanup, incredible business if you can do it. Yeah, it's extremely profitable. I My first company was a cleaning company and we were asked oh. about doing that. I was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It uh, takes a special kind of person. But what's cool about it, the labor model's cool. You hire EMTs and firemen huh. and, because they don't work very many hours. I don't know if you know this. They only work something like nine hours a month or something crazy. So they're always looking for part-time work. Your jobs might be out of town. They might be over a period of three days. You get the crew together. You maybe only have two jobs a month, but they're huge and profitable. Interesting business. Um, A lot of wineries, Mm. very profitable. Um, Estate sales, cool business. I'm fascinated by that business. Um, School fundraising, helping schools fundraise. So I don't know if you've ever been on a PTA or PTO board and you hump to make $3,000 or $5,000. These guys come in and do professionalism and it's all online and blah, blah, blah. And suddenly the school raises 10 times what they've ever raised before. Wow. Um, Being a franchise broker, you can invest in a franchise to do this. I didn't, but you can. Um, Bridal gowns, escape rooms, dog training, very hot right now. Lots of dog training franchises coming on board. Highly scalable, easy to hire. People that love dogs, apparently it's very easy to find those people. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever noticed on this by gas stations, they have those giant bins to drop off your clothes or your shoes and yes. they recycle them. That's Those are all franchises. That's a very passive business. It's almost like vending machines. The equipment is expensive, but, um, you know, of course, now there's cannabis stuff. There's all kinds of trash 
you know, being trash, uh, valet trash, smashing trash. You call on restaurants and businesses and the value proposition is, look, you're paying so much to have this trash hauled out. I can come in and smash that three times a week and you'll get 10 times out of your contract. You literally uh, meant smashing. <laughs> there's a machine. There's a there's a patented machine that oh goes in. You hire the tech. They go in and go. Ur, 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 ur. <laughs> Drug labs. Those are all. Most of those are franchises. Nice business. I don't know. All kinds of cool businesses. I I tend to do a lot of boutique fitness and wellness, um, vitamin infusion bars and things like that. Massage. So who is your ideal client? Um, I enjoy working mostly with women who are tired of working their ass off for someone else and watching their bottom line build. And these are competent, kick-ass women in their 50s, and they want to build it for themselves now. That's my favorite kind of client. And when I introduced you, I briefly talked about having systems and processes in place. Explain to our audience how franchises just excel at that. Yeah. Well, some are better than others, um, as I've learned. And you, and you do find that out. Um, but what a franchise essentially is, is the e-myth on steroids, right? They have developed and fine-tuned their operations manual over time. They have developed and fine-tuned the entire marketing package uh, over time. They know what works. They know what doesn't work. The first 10 franchisees in any particular system really are out there um, tweaking for the rest of the 150 franchisees that come down the road. Everything's kind of been um, vetted. Um, the Some franchises are so developed that they literally come, they have, you know, the architectural package, they have the contractor in place, they literally will build out your franchise for you if it's a brick and mortar. Many franchises will actually execute on your marketing package on your behalf that you have to pay for it. But, you know, so for the 10,000, they want you to spend 10,000 on your pre-opening marketing package. You give them the money. They have either internal or external contractual relationships that literally do the marketing package for you. Certainly, they're going to have your uh, your point of sale system. Certainly, they're going to have the technology and CRM systems. And of course, the vending relationships nationwide for discounts on all kinds of products and services. Um, equipment packages are all done for you. Let's see. Um, stuff so there's like a that. lot of done for you in, in a franchise. And the more done for you, the better, in my opinion, unless you've owned businesses before. Some of them have call centers. They literally not only execute on your marketing, they book the appointments. Some um, of those are like carpet cleaning or HVAC type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, service stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so one last question from me, what is the difference between franchise, say you want to get into a franchise agreement and a licensee agreement? Oh, very good question for a lawyer, which I'm not, but <laughs> here's the gist, uh, licensing, there is no federal trade commission oversight, first of all, on the sale of it. 
So there's a lot of scams in that space. Um, Having said that, I also represent some of those. Generally speaking, in those models, you pay an upfront fee of 60 to 150,000. They have varying service levels of support. They teach you exactly how to do it. They might still have ongoing support, but there's no royalties. And technically, there's no franchise fee. So the long and short of it is you're a little bit more on your own. They don't have the organized structure for all the owners of that system. This is the one thing I really don't like about business license models. They don't have, I've never seen one that does, maybe there are some, assist even a Facebook page for other owners in the system, with the exception of SignWorld. SignWorld, by the way, is a huge and very successful non-franchise licensing deal. But most of them are small. They might have 100 or 200 people out there, but you don't even know who they are. They don't have organized uh, ways of communicating with each other. And guess what? When you're in a franchise, that's your number one support is other franchisees, other owners. You definitely have people at corporate and ops people and this and that, maybe a business coach, but you learn what's really going down from the guy who owns the same franchise at the other end of town. So um, that's the thing about those business licenses. They may be cheaper. They are for people that are a little more entrepreneurial. It is a business in a box. They'll teach you everything you need to know to, know to get started uh, and maybe even ongoing, but really you're just kind of a little bit more independent and there's no big community and feeling of, hey, we're all in this together. Awesome. So what would you, as we get ready to close up, what what else would you like to say to my listeners? I would say people may not realize that this is the number one fastest growing business model for women. Female ownership of franchises grew over 83% from 2011 through 2017. And that has only escalated through the pandemic. Franchises are great models for women, maybe uh, women who are wanting to completely reinvent. That's the joy of a franchise. If If you've been in tech all your life and you're just done with tech, you can open a consignment store, you know, something that you're passionate about. Um, So... I think it's a great business model for women not to make generalizations about that, but women tend to not have that whole egoic thing about, don't tell me how to do it. <laughs> We're, we want to hear how to do it and then let me go. You know what I mean? Um, it's a great model for women who maybe have been out of the workforce for a long time and want to get back in. You do have to have, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit. Maybe somebody who's always wanted to own their own business. It's just a great lower risk, not no risk uh, way to own your own business. So I said that was my last question, but I just thought of something. (laughs) What, What would somebody who's interested in a franchise need to plan for financially? Um. You're, you're going to have to have an upfront franchise fee, um, and you're going to have to have some liquidity. And just to shortcut it, the only loan mechanism uh, from banks, there's other loan mechanisms. You can use your 401ks, you can use your home equity line, but whatever. The only loan mechanism is called the SBA, um, and they're going to want to see 
a 20% cash infusion, and they're going to want to see post-closing liquidity, all of which is to say you probably ought to have sixty to 70000 sitting in cash available to even consider it for both purposes of being able to choose from decent franchise options and B, getting a loan. Perfect. Thank you. How can our listeners find you after the show? Great. They can Google my name, Jane Stein. It typically comes up. My business is called Your Franchise is Waiting. But a good catchy way to remember it is I wrote an ebook and it's called The Girlfriend's Guide to Franchising. So if you Google that, that gets you to my website. It'll get you to the a landing page for that ebook, which is free and probably gets you to a webinar that I've done at various times called that. So Girlfriend's Guide to Franchising is easy to remember. Girlfriend's Guide to Franchising. We will make sure that both your website and your book link are in the show notes. Jane, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much, Denise. Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business Podcast, where the focus is on business growth through technology, leadership, and people strategies. Do you have an idea for a podcast or feedback you'd like to share with me? Send me a note through my website at dcavirtual.com slash contact.